the first thing you should do when you go into a new neighborhood, you think what you should do is bake cookies and take them to all of your friends. But there's actually been studies that have said that if the first thing you do when you move into a new neighborhood is to go and ask your neighbors for something, like ask if you could borrow something, um, borrow eggs. They say that your relationship is likely to get, go much deeper, much faster because there is a reciprocal relationship. They'll, they will now feel much more comfortable coming to you um, because you put yourself under them and you put yourself in a vulnerable position. Um, our culture hates this idea. We want to always be in that power position. Jesus is saying, no, 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 uh, give up that power position when you're looking for the person of peace. Hey friends, welcome to the 1000 Houses podcast where we encourage and equip households to make disciples in and through the home. Every episode, you're going to hear interviews, teachings, and conversations around what it looks like to turn your home into a hub for mission and community and discipleship. Today's episode is from one of our coaching intensives called Made for Mission, where we coach others on how to practically live out the command of Jesus to go and make disciples in our Western context. So if you want to learn more about A Thousand Houses or check out some of our resources, visit one kh. All right, guys, we're going to jump into one of my favorite passages in the New Testament that gives us strategies for how to do all the things we're talking about in this course, and that is the passage in the Gospel of Luke chapter 10. Now, I've got to tell you that one of the things that, that really surprised me about this passage is the level of strategic thinking that goes into all of the elements of what Jesus does in Luke 10 and how little this is practiced, not only in sort of churches in the West, but all around the world. Very few missionaries seem to really understand or take seriously what Jesus is doing here in Luke 10. And I think one of the reasons is that I, a lot of people, when they look at the Bible, I've even heard theologians make statements like this, that the Bible is a what book and a why book. It's not a how book. It never really is there to tell you how to do things. Things just change way too dramatically when it comes from culture to culture or time period to time period. And you can't really find those things in the Bible. And if you're finding sort of how-tos in the Bible, you're really doing something the Bible wasn't designed to help us do. Now, I don't believe that's true. And if you've ever asked why in the world is the church, why does it look so different, our practices, than the Bible? It's really this kind of thinking that says that there are no real helpful how-tos in the Bible. And I think this is really a way of protecting the way we're comfortable doing mission or doing church than really something that, that is true about the Bible itself. The Bible has tons of helpful clues. The Holy Spirit oftentimes has preserved very specific methodologies in the scriptures to give us clues for how the kingdom is to expand, how the kingdom grows. And yeah, there are some updating and things we have to be careful of not to cross-apply directly to our context, but to say that there are no actual practical how-to strategies in the Bible is just not accurate. And so we're going to look at one of the most exciting, interesting, and helpful passages as we dive into Luke 10. So I'm going to go ahead and 
set the context so that you understand what's going on. So the Jesus movement is up in Galilee. It's really beginning to gain momentum. Jesus had about 12 disciples that he was directly working with, and there were a bunch of others. Now, this is starting to multiply as he has gone to various villages and healed the sick and preached the gospel himself. And he's already sent the 12 disciples out, and they have gone two by two into various villages. And so Jesus has gone to some of those villages, and now there's 72 radically committed apprentices of Jesus that he's about to send out again, two by two, to even more villages and really saturate the area of Galilee. And before he sends out the 72, he gives them such important instructions. So we're going to look at exactly what he says to them. We're going to read the passage for you guys. Let this sink in and talk about all of the practical things that that are going on in Jesus's mission strategy. So Luke chapter 10 says, after this, The Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near you. So in these 11 verses, there are so many interesting principles. So we're going to really walk through 12 steps of mission strategy that Jesus unveils to these 72 disciples he's about to send out. And uh, these, again, are so helpful. So the first one is, Start with identity. The first thing we read in the passage is the Lord appointed 72 others. Now imagine how you would feel if there was a crowd of people and Jesus were to handpick you and 72 other people and give you and appoint you to be missionaries and send you out. That's a really important step because if he just said, okay, everybody go be missionaries, you know, like that doesn't feel like it really alters my identity. But when he picks you, and you come forward and he gives, he appoints you to be a missionary, gives you a team and sends you out. Now something has shifted in my identity. And you guys, that's the reason why this whole process has started with identity. You have to believe in your core that you've been appointed. So Jesus does that work, the very first step with uh, these 72 disciples. The second thing we hear is that he says to earnestly pray. And so Uh, extraordinary prayer is the next step. Once you have that identity, you have to begin to pray. You don't immediately go, you begin with prayer. And so that's why we always want that second step to clearly be uh, prayer. The harvest is plentiful, Jesus said, the laborers are few, therefore pray earnestly. And so he uses that word earnestly. And so we just like to use that word extraordinary um, really for the same reason. Number three, he says to pray for laborers. This is very interesting. Jesus does not say to pray for the harvest, but for for the laborers. He said the harvest is already ripe, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray that God would send laborers out. So what's interesting about that, you guys, is the problem, a lot of times 
we focus on what we can't control. We, we go out and we say, like, God, I can't figure out why this person's heart isn't moving towards you. But what God has already said, what Jesus is saying here, is that there are tons of people who are wide open to the gospel. The problem is we don't go. So the problem is with the laborers. And so that's a really important step, that a big part of our prayer and a big gap when it comes to actually seeing the mission accomplished is the lack of laborers actually entering the field. And so we see that just the rampant problem today. If a church of a thousand people, what percentage of those people are actively going out as laborers in the mission field and are using a strategy that's likely to bring a non-believer all the way to a disciple maker? How, what percentage? I mean, if 1% of a thousand had a strategy that is reliably doing that, that would be amazing. Um, but I think that that's unlikely. Why is the percentage so low? Why are so few laborers going out into, into the actual harvest field? And so that's what this course is all about, to activate you guys and to help you become laborers in the harvest field. The fourth thing he says is to take no money, no knapsack, no sandals. He commands them that as they're going to be in a position of vulnerability, not in a position of power when they interact with their people of peace. This is a big deal. When you're going out, oftentimes Christians will be very aggressive and they will put themselves in a position of power over non-believers and they will use whatever power, including cornering them to force them into a conversation uh, to begin to have an encounter with the kingdom of God. And this is very strange. Um, Jesus really commanded the opposite. Put yourself in a position of vulnerability with regards to that non-believer. Even potentially ask them for help. Um, and so this is actually a principle that a lot of people have learned even when you move into a new neighborhood, they say the first thing you should do when you go into a new neighborhood, you think what you should do is bake cookies and take them to all of your friends. But there's actually been studies that have said that if the first thing you do when you move into a new neighborhood is to go and ask your neighbors for something, like ask if you could borrow something, um, borrow eggs, they say that your relationship is likely to get, go much deeper, much faster because there is a reciprocal relationship. They'll, they will now feel much more comfortable coming to you um, because you put yourself under them and you put yourself in a vulnerable position. Um, our culture hates this idea. We want to always be in that power position. Jesus is saying, no, 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 uh, give up that power position when you're looking for the person to peace. Step five, he says, to stay focused. He says, don't greet anyone on the road. And every introvert in the world is like, yes! <laughs> like, what is that about? I thought we were supposed to constantly like ham it up with everybody. If anybody were to come up to you and want to have a conversation, aren't, isn't that proof that you're supposed to immediately share the gospel with them? Again, Jesus was very clear that we were to be so focused on a particular target while we're on mission that he told his disciples to not even greet people when they were traveling, uh, which is just a real shock um, when you think about that. The next thing he says to do, step six, is to find a worthy house. And this is a really interesting idea that there are certain uh, people in certain places, certain networks, we're going to kind of dig into this word house. Back in the first century, when you think about a house, what was happening in that house was a lot of things. The house was not just a place where the family went to retreat for a few hours every night to binge watch Netflix. It was like the actual hub of all the activity, their spiritual life, their economic life, uh, and their family life, uh, and all the relationships. It all happened in and through the home. It was called the oikos, the household. And so this is really analogous for us to finding a worthy network of people. So we can look into more detail about what that really looks like, but that could be a business, a house, 
um, some kind of where a group of people are, are really gathering around, um, around something. So find a worthy house was the, the next one. And that's when he says, find the house, enter the house, and say peace to this house. Now, the seventh thing is to find a particular person, the person of peace. This is somebody that is open to a kind of relationship with, with you, and they have uh, this sort of propensity to lean into the relationship um, because this person is basically an inviter. We really understand that when we see the, the counterexample that's coming up, that there are some places where the disciples were going where they were rejected. So the person of peace is somebody who is suddenly and maybe even surprisingly inviting. If you've ever been in a conversation with somebody and you were really surprised when they, when they suddenly invited you to something, hey, you want to come to a, you know, our game night that we do? You want to you join me and my friends? We're going to go you know, on this little fishing trip. Like whenever ever you're invited by somebody to do something with them and their group of friends, their family, their network, that's a big clue that something might be happening. They may be a person of peace inviting you in to a house. And so that's something to pay really close attention to uh, and to pursue potentially. Okay, the eighth thing is through relationship. One of the things that uh, Jesus says here is remain in the same house. Do not go from house to house. He says it uh, twice. So he was very clear that the way that discipleship and movement really expands is not primarily through sort of scattering everywhere. Uh, It's really by focusing on a particular network. Um, there are all kinds of dynamics in which why this matters. But for movement, for the movement's sake, it's really important that there are particular people that are going to not just be hubs for uh, your relationship, but potentially hubs for the kingdom expansion in that area or in whatever network or house that that might be expanding from there. And so Jesus was saying, look particularly for those people that are at the hub um, of, of some kind of network so, and, and stay with that person. The ninth thing he's, he says is to preach the kingdom. It's really interesting what the, the message he gives them, to tell them the kingdom has come near you. Um, and so we are oftentimes pushing on to people a gospel that's very different than one that the disciples preached. You know, we tell people that they're going to hell. They don't know where they're going to go when they die. They quickly need to say a prayer or they might be lost forever. The primary problem is their sin problem. There are truths to those stories but what's really interesting is that oftentimes people of peace are active people who are, who are really trying to make the world a better place. and They're looking or seeking a kingdom. Oftentimes they'll have a philosophy for how that might look. And so we don't realize that they may be already looking for the kingdom. They just don't, don't know it. And so when you begin to announce the coming of the kingdom of God, uh, we're going to talk a little bit more later about what that might look like, that is going to really resonate with a person of peace, somebody who is going to have uh, the excitement to spread that announcement to more people. And then the 10th uh, step is to pray for healing. One of the things that Paul says every time he was traveling, he told the Corinthians that I, I really wanted to, for you to see this Holy Spirit's power so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of man, but on the power of God. This is a different kind of faith. And so oftentimes when we try to argue people into the kingdom, or we only ever uh, will use one tool to see somebody come to faith, then sometimes their faith only has like one leg of a stool. One of the most powerful ways to experience the kingdom is to actually see the Lord do something. The the God show up, the Holy Spirit move. And so Jesus said, I want you to pray. Pray in my name uh, and pray for for healing. Uh, And so if you get into a situation where somebody shares with you uh, something that might be wrong with them physically, then don't be afraid to lay hands on them and pray if that's something the Holy Spirit's moving you to do. 
Um, the 11th thing that he tells them to do is if you can't find a person of peace to move on. This is so hard for many of us because we, we just, the first person who might be the slightest bit interested in the gospel, we want to just immediately pour energy into. And we may not take the time to discern that they may not be a person of peace. And so over time, they may become less and less interested in the gospel. They might not be leaning into relationship. But because we don't understand this principle, we just sort of keep hammering on that door. Uh, and it may not be time. They may become a person of peace. It just may not be a season in which they're interested or open. And so what Jesus said is move on. Now, move on from, from where? He said in an entire village, if you can't find one person who's inviting you into relationship and who is interested in what you have to say and who is interested in introducing you to others, then you can't reach that town because the gospel is not going to take root in a place in which there's not a person of peace, somebody who's, who's at that, that hub kind of person who's receiving the kingdom, interested in the kingdom, and potentially can become a, a foundational hub for the kingdom in that area. So he tells them to move, move on from there. And the last step, and this isn't in Luke 10, but in a parallel passage in Mark 6, after he sends out the 12, he tells them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. This is called, he, Jesus has not called these people laborers for nothing. This is hard work. And so we're going to talk about the difference between being a person of peace in your own context and seeking out people of peace. But when you're on mission seeking out people of peace, that is a lot of work and you have to become very available to those people. So we're going to talk about those two very different mission strategies more and more as we work our way uh, through this, uh, this whole uh, learning. But it's important to understand that if you do go into a season of mission, um, that you take the time to boundary that season of mission and you debrief and rest when that season is up. This is one of the reasons, you guys, as well, that it's important that we embrace um, single missionaries in the context of our, our entire strategy, that we're not only relying on families or people that are really busy, but people that are in seasons of life where they can do a lot of this hard work. We believe most, if not all, of the disciples that were sent out by Jesus at this time were, were likely single. And so they were going out and they had that bandwidth um, to spend the time to actually pursue the kingdom in this very time-intensive way. Um, but we need a lot of those laborers. We also need people to function as people of peace in their own context. So that's important. So there's just three quick things I want to emphasize about all the things that are in Luke, Luke 10, and we're going to go through some of the very important strategies that we need each of you guys to consider in this process. Number one, have, have, be encouraged that the Holy Spirit's already working, that we're not responsible for whether or not the, the harvest field is ripe, but it is ripe. The Holy Spirit's out there working. Number two, this is really about people over programs. It's so important to find particular people and build relationships. Everything Jesus is describing here really is pointing in that direction. And the third thing is the house really matters for the sake of the future movement. So as we talk about what we're actually, what our mission involves, it's not just about plucking one person here, one person there. It's about seeding an expression of the kingdom of God into places. And that's what creates real movement. And that's what's oftentimes lacking in the West. And so these are really encouraging elements that I find in this amazing strategy Jesus outlines in Luke 10. We're going to spend a lot more time sort of uh, teasing it apart in different ways. But really take the time to read, reread this passage. This is 11 short verses that should just be really engraved on the way that you think about mission. And the more it is, the more intuitive a lot of the missional moves are going to be that we're going to be talking about going forward.
Well, friends, thanks for listening to today's episode. If this teaching stirred something in you and you're feeling a yearning to learn how to make disciples in the West, we just want to invite you to join our Made for Mission Coaching Intensive, where we combine online content and personal coaching that's going to provide you with the teaching and the tools and the encouragement that you need to actually see disciples made in your context. So for more information and to apply for this coaching intensive, go to 1kh.org slash made for mission. We'll see you for the next episode.